Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. Like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's Gabe time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Kuhn Show. 92.9 FM ESPN. How about it? Welcome in on a Monday, September 25th, 2023. It's time for the Gabe Kuhn Show. I am your host, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman, Gabe Kuhn, on X at G underscore Kuhn 71. Alongside me is the executive producer of the Gabe Kuhn Show. That would be Connor Dunning on X at C Dunning 929. Connor, what's the word, brother? How are you? I'm, I'm good, man. How are you? Wedding week. I'm doing all right. Wedding week. Uh... You know, how do I explain this? Nerves have set in. Nerves have set in. I'll say that. But it's not about the actual action. It's not the action of getting married. Correct. Like, that's not what it is. It's about, okay, I have a bunch of extended family getting flights, rehearsal dinner, all the plans coming together. Is the band going to be good? You have those extra bits of anxiety. It has nothing to do with the actual action. Been with been with my fiance long enough where I, it is, it is what it is. I'm not actually worried about that part of it. But, uh. My gosh, no one, no one warned me about that anxiety. It's probably worse than actually being nervous on your wedding day. I was not nervous about the actual marriage portion of it. It's I was so worried about messing up like the steps, the step, like or yeah. missing her finger with the ring or something like that. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. something dumb like that happening. Yeah. Well, yeah, and a lot of guests headed headed this way for the wedding this weekend, and catching up with all of them does give, give me anxiety too. No offense if you're hearing it out there, but I mean this is this is 300 people. I'm gonna have to do the rounds. That's a lot of rounds. Well, there's do, one brother. person who won't be there. Yeah, there is one person, and he happens to be the head coach of the uh, Memphis football team. And uh, Ryan, I, we're gonna talk about it in small talk. And like I've always been taught, you know, I went to the the J School, journalism school, at the University of Memphis. Shout out. I was taught, don't make yourself the news. I didn't make myself the news. Let me let me let me put that out there. This was a question asked in a Monday presser. To Ryan Silverfield, but I was I was brought up. Um, it was my wedding week. He's playing Boise State, and he's obviously he was invited. Um, but he gave his answer. He gave me a good ninety second clip. We'll talk about it in small talk. He, uh, I mean, it was a little bit of a shot, right? There were some shots fired. A loving, a loving there shot. There were some though. shots fired, shot. though. Shots fired. We're going to have to talk about it in small talk, and we'll play that sound as well. But we have three hours to talk on the way, courtesy of ninety two nine FM ESPN and yours truly. We're going to open. Uh, extensively on college football week four and, and what that was. Uh, separation Saturday in a lot of ways, but the Tigers go down in St. Louis. Valiant effort, but they do go down. Uh, we had Colorado versus Oregon. What did I say to everyone going into the weekend? One, their trenches aren't good enough. They gave up way too many sacks against those first three opponents. They gave up seven against Oregon. But I said their trenches aren't good enough, and I said there's no chance that they're going to win this game. But what was the second part of that? Connor, that's okay. That is fine. They already tripled their win total. They're in a spot where Dion clearly has something going. They're clearly trending in the right direction. They were without Travis Hunter, their best wide receiver and their best DB. A lot of things were working against them. Now they got hammered 42-6. to six, But I, I don't know if you used your eyes to watch the actual product on the field of Oregon and Colorado. You knew that was coming. 
there was going to be an end to this train at some point. It just happened to be this weekend. Now, I don't think any of the hype of that – some of the Colorado hype will go down, but not all of it by any stretch. Um, and then also I'll tell you at the end of this, uh, this first segment why I believe in Ohio State. They beat Notre Dame last play. Um, Chip Tranum runs in from about a yard away. I, 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 I was impressed with Ohio State. I was very impressed to do what they did against a team whose offense was top 10 in the nation heading into that week on the road. I, Ryan Day, obviously there's some sound we're going to have to play from him, but I, I, I enjoyed what I saw from that Ohio State team. And also we'll talk about the damn landing clip before the game, getting his team hyped up. That was, that was much talked about, and I don't know if it should be as talked about as it is. I, th- I think there's, there's certain things you do to hype up your team that in the end of the day, you don't need to t- take that much you know, stock in. You don't need to put that much stock into what Dan Lanning had to say pregame to his team to hype them up to play that Colorado bunch. Also, NFL Week 3, we had madness. We had a team score 70 points, the Miami Dolphins. We had uh, uh, Travis Kelsey and uh, Taylor Swift. You know, Connor, I, I think I've, at first, when we talked about this relationship, I was the one who, you know, clearly have, no, I don't have an original bone in my body, but I said that he needs to be careful about being put on the, uh, put on the breakup album. And he, sure, he, he should still be careful about that. But I'm rooting on this relationship now because everyone's seemingly, it, it's Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey against the world right now, isn't it? The Swifties seem beside themselves. NFL fans beside themselves. I'm rooting on this thing. It's it's a, it's very odd the way people are reacting to it. I'm happy for him. It, it makes sense. You know, she's you know Taylor Swift is in a stratosphere of her own and celebrity. But Travis Kelsey seems like a good dude, Super Bowl champion, future Hall of Famer, one of the best tight ends that has ever played the game. And let's get game. this out of the way. Taylor Swift is doing nothing to raise her visibility by right. being with Travis Kelsey. Her visibility is play- like this. Is, she's the catch here. Oh, She's the doubt. damn catcher. Without a doubt. Let's not make a mistake. She's a billionaire. She filled out all these NFL stadiums on her era's tour this, this offseason. I mean, she is unbelievable. She is. And, you know, we could, we could have the conversation about if she knew the camera was on her, picking up all the, the Bud Light cans and everything. But I don't think that's really worthy of conversation. I don't, I don't think Bud Light cans. Who cares? She, there was like, there was the, <laughs> she, she picked up all the trash with the camera oh, on her. Oh, I, I see. It was, I thought it was well done. Taylor, she seems just like a good person. All right, and Travis does too. I'm rooting for him. I don't understand I'm, people I'm, that are against it. It seems it seems cool. The mom situation's real fun. You know, she's having a blast. Two of her sons are in the NFL. She, Both are Super Bowl champions. Then she gets to hang out with Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift has to be comfortable with Donna, though. By the way, because as soon as Travis scored, she did. You see what she? I mean, you you have to do some lip reading. She LFG. gave out. She gave out a LFG. Huh? Let's. That's authentic. Leaping go. Authentic. Yes, authentic, and she's comfortable around Donna. Of course, she is. She's comfortable around Donna. We'll read in all. The of Kelsey that, seem like a great family. Yeah, they do. They do. Um, but some of the reactions just the, it's so the, the it's ones about much. Swifties asking about the rules of football have been my favorite because it seems like they're genuinely interested and they're trying to figure it out, but they just have no idea what's going on. <laughs> right, there, yeah. there is a whole discussion about downs. Why they get downs, four of them? I saw one. There was why don't they was run to play downs. on fourth and just punt it? Was it was about downs. <laughs> it was about downs, and one of the Swifties asked, "Does it have? Does the b- football have to touch the ground exactly. and be down?" And yeah. I'm like, "We'll, we'll teach you. We'll, we'll baby we'll, steps. We'll figure this out. We do have two Monday night football games though as well." I mean, we'll take the trip around the NFL at 5.30. Eagles at Bucks starting at 6.15 while we are still on air. And then Rams at Bengals. I'll give you a pick as we get into the big game tonight in the Rewind. Um, as far as guests are concerned, Jeff Calkins at 5 o'clock per normal. Jeff Calkins show on the Daily Memphian. 
He's a columnist there. And then 6 o'clock, Harold Grader, the Associate Executive Director of the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. We have a bunch to discuss on, on college football um, this past weekend and what it was. It was it was nonstop action start to finish. It was great. We had the Florida State-Clemson game to start. And then by the end of the night, you know, at Ohio State, Notre Dame, Washington State got over top of Oregon State. And by the way, I, I think I'm starting to uh, – you know I've been banging the Cam Ward drum quarterback for Washington State. I think people are coming around now. I saw him in some uh, – he, he's, he's involved in Heisman odds at this point. And a lot of people are starting to put him up in that stratosphere, top three quarterbacks in, in college football. I was there first, though. I was there first. Now, I won't break my arm trying to pat myself on the back. We also have the Blitz. Um, Usher, pick for the Super Bowl halftime show. Incredible. Incredible. We do need to have a discussion about middle-aged white men. Though. Yes, we do. So Relax. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> this isn't for y'all. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just not. It's just not. It's the truth of it. And then also I'll give you my NFL power rankings, my top five, as we get into the blitz. Now, Tigers, go down on the road. They called it a, they called it a uh, neutral side game. It was not a neutral side game. But it was at the uh, Edward Jones Dome or Dome at America Center in St. Louis. They lose 34-27. Uh, there's a big play off the top um, that sort of put the Tigers in a weird spot. Uh, a deep ball. Brady Cook, of course, went in that game despite what I was told going into the weekend. Um, but I, I think all in all, if I'm going to sort of talk about this game, I'm not into moral victories. I think that that was a beatable team, especially when you talk about Memphis and where this, this program has been in the recent past. This is a championship-level program. It has that pedigree. You can get to the top. You're, you're considered at the top of the group of five. You should be able to win those games on the road. Now, I know Ryan – and that team, since he took over, are not great in road games. But I think all in all, I was encouraged by what I saw out there. There was a fight till the end. The defense held up until the end, and then Mizzou started running the ball pretty pretty substantially. Cody Schrader had a big game. They're running back. Um, but I, I was encouraged by what I saw from the Tigers and the fight and the resiliency that they showed even in St. Louis. I agree with you. I'm not sure I take a moral victory from it, but no. I think – what you can take from it is we talked about if you're going to lose, make it a fight and make yes. it close and show something. And I think that the Tigers showed something that they hadn't previously in, in, in the other games, and that is what was the positives I took away. Now, I agree with you. This was a winnable game. Yes. This was a very winnable game. You take care of the football, you might win this game. But Blake Watson looked good again. Rock Taylor looked good. I do think there is a discussion to be had, though, about quarterback play. Yes. I do think that – and taking care of the football. We'll get to that. Um, but overall, I was encouraged while also thinking that they had a shot to win the game. You go down 34-20 at the end of that game. You had three timeouts in your pocket. What did that team do? They went down. Kobe Drake catches a, uh, a touchdown over the middle, um, gave yourself a chance. Now, we, we get into some of, some very bizarre situation there on the onside kick. I didn't understand that in the slightest. Uh, I've seen kickers kick, without, uh, kick an onside kick without a tee all the time because they can get better spin on it. But the SEC officials, which is strange, by the way, to go to a neutral side game with the SEC officials there, beyond the point, they stopped the game on the onside kick, allowed Mizzou to sort of regroup, made the Tigers come back out with a tee, had to tee the ball up, then they kick an onside kick, it dribbles right into the hands of a Mizzou player, game over. I, 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 that was frustrating. I, because I, there has been a report published by Frank Bonner of the Daily Memphian, who we've, who we've had on before, Memphis Tigers football beat reporter for them, um, the SEC officials made that decision in the moment, but SEC officiating 
has given the explanation to the University of Memphis, you do not need a T. SEC officials should know that. There should be no. There should have been no stoppage to the game, and, and that onside kick should have gone off with no issues. There should be no T out there. You don't need a T. I, I am just. It's kind of bizarre that you know the best conference theoretically in college football and their officiating. They had an issue with not having a T on an onside kick. This when it's clear when it's clearly legal to do that. The SEC officiating has been a problem for a few years. I'm just gonna leave it at that. Like it's it's. Mind-boggling how we still have this bad of officiating in college football. It's I, I don't understand it. Every single game, there's a call that just makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, I, I I'm with you, especially with in a moment you. like that. Like it ultimately may not have mattered, but it could have. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the exact percentages on on college football and onside kicks. We know in the NFL, it's impossible to go get an onside kick, but in college, it's a little bit higher. It sort of it hurt their chances. To go potentially steal a position. Well, giving a team a chance to set up for it certainly helps. The other part of this game that I'm just, you know, you can second guess at least a little bit. I do love aggression, though. And I love that, you know, I love a, a coach who wants to take momentum and capitalize on it. There was a fourth and fourth, beginning of the fourth quarter, where you could have settled for a field goal. Tanner Gillis, after having, you had Seth Morgan and Tristan Vandenberg both down, the first two kickers. You had Tanner Gillis going in there to kick as the third-place kicker. He did a good job. He was on the weekly honor roll for the AAC. But you decided to go for it. Seth Hennigan throws a pick on fourth and four. You could have cut the game, I believe, at that point to a, a you know more manageable situation. I think 27-23 would have been the score. Mizzou went down uh, after the pick, kicked a field goal. You could have still been within, within seven in that, in that situation. You can second-guess that. Um, but I think I like aggression in that moment. You're on the on the road playing an SEC opponent. You have to capitalize on each bit of momentum you can get, and getting a touchdown in that moment would have been massive for that team. Yeah, you. Ha- I mean, one of the criticisms that we have had and people have had of Silverfield is his aggression levels over the last few years, and it was nice to see that he was like, F it, we're going for it. Yep. We're going for the win. He wasn't going for the conservative play. He was trying to go for a win, and I can respect that. Um, now, a couple of good things. Blake Watson still electric. He's electric. So good. Uh, now the running game was not good. It was tough. I, I don't think that 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 offensive front was great, in particular, in, in trying to push that SEC front seven off of the ball. Uh, Eighteen for forty-seven in the run game, but Blake Watson nine catches, eighty-three yards. He had that TD. Uh, they threw it out into the flat. Uh, it, it was either a third or a fourth down. Bounces off one tackler, walks into the end zone. That was impressive as hell. I thought the O-line did a good job of trying to keep Seth upright for the most part. Pockets got a little collapsed, but you expect that against a front like that. Um, Rock Taylor, shout out to you, Connor. You, you've been calling this. We know that I think Rock Taylor's become a safety blanket yeah, 100%. For, for, for Seth Hennigan in a big way. He had seven catches, 143 yards, and some of the back shoulder balls you throw to him. He gets his feet down, uh, toe taps. And he has very sure hands. And, and Rock Taylor, he may not be the most explosive athlete, although he did have a tunnel screen that went uh, down and, and they set up a, a, a touchdown scoring drive with. Um, but Rock Taylor is clearly, far and away, the best weapon they have on the outside. And to do that against a SEC secondary, I was, I was, I mean, I am very thrilled for Rock Taylor. This is a guy who's had to sit there 
for a few years with other guys in front of him, he finally gets his opportunity. He takes advantage of it in, in the biggest of ways under the lights in the dome. Yeah, I was thrilled to see Rock Taylor have a big game. I For this entire season, I've just seen a, a relationship starting to form between him and Hennigan. And it, like you said, it just feels like he trusts him and he's kind of a blanket there and he understands that you know, sometimes if, if they may not have a perfect throw or a perfect play, if you throw it toward Rock, he can figure something out. Yeah. He does really well with moving when the ball's in the air, yes. and he goes and gets it. He and goes that's and gets what, it. And that's what I like. He doesn't wait on it to come to him. He goes and gets it. The best receivers are guys who can be blanketed by two guys and still have a chance still to go comes catch down the with ball. It. And that's why I say he's a safety blanket because Seth knows that. There, there's, you know, there's guys in the NFL, too, and I'm not comparing a one-to-one situation to Devontae Adams and Jamar, all these guys. There are times where you try to read out a defense and your best guy will not be in that particular scheme theoretically open on the pre-snap. You'd have to read it out. But with a guy like Rock Taylor, he's a guy you can stare down and if he gets one-on-one coverage, take a chance. Give him an opportunity because he takes advantage of his opportunities. So that was cool to see. Now, Seth Hennigan, I am... uh, I, I, I think I'm almost to the point where... Clearly, his freshman year, I think, was his best year on campus. We see flashes. The ball to Joe Skates on fourth and goal to put yourself up 10-7 to at the beginning of the game was phenomenal. Uh, Some of those uh, throws down the sideline to Rock Taylor were phenomenal. Doesn't have a fastball still. And I don't know if I've seen the growth that I expect from a third-year starter that that, that I I haven't seen the growth I wanted to see from him. I mean, he's, he's a little loose with the football. Um, he's a little, you know, at times he's a little mum trying to run when he, when he escapes a pocket, just go try to get a first down, use your legs a tad bit. Um, but even more so than that, I, I just don't see the growth in the pocket throwing the ball that I thought would be there. And it's very frustrating in a lot of ways. He's not taking care of the ball at a high level. He had two picks in that game, including the one on fourth and four. Now, granted, He that, almost threw a third, but the guy stepped out of bounds. Now, now granted, that served as a as basically a turnover on downs, if you will, that fourth and fourth sure. row. But he's got to be better. He's got to be better. If this offense is going to be working at its peak, he's got to be better. And they, that involves the O-line keeping him upright, the O-line paving the way for Blake Watson and Sutton Smith. But I think he needs to take it upon himself to not put the ball in harm's way. I think that's as simple as I can put it. Yeah, I, I think you kind of nailed it. To me, it feels like he's plateaued a bit. Like you said, yep. his freshman year was definitely his best. His sophomore season was a bit up and down, but we understood why. They yep. didn't have the skill guys. The line was rough. But this year, when he's got the skill position players and the line's a little bit better, uh, better it, f- it feels like we expected a little bit more than what we've seen the first four games. And this is the type of game where, to be quite honest, to beat an SEC team in a neutral site road game he had you can't you can't give the ball up twice. You can't give them two no. free possessions because that crushes you. And you know Jeffrey talked about it a little bit on Giannato and Jeffrey, and I, and I tend to agree with him. It just seems like his decision making is a bit slower than it has been. Like he, I'm not sure if you've gotten that sense, but it just feels like he's no. I agree it's wholeheartedly. A, it's a bit robotic in a way. Like he's like I'm going to do this read. I'm going to do that read. That's not there. I'm going to throw it back to this. Like if you can see him thinking when he's out there. Yeah. Some some balls he makes his decision and it is perfectly placed right. and there's good moments like the Joe Skates ball in the end zone or the Rock Taylor uh ball down the sideline like there there are some moments where he makes his decision in that split second delivers a good ball. There's other times where he's just a tad bit late. And he's it, just thinking, he's analyzing and over analysis is paralysis. We know this in football. You cannot think that much 
while you're out there. And I, I tend to agree with that sentiment. It looks like there's a lot of thinking going on for Seth Hennigan in those moments. Like, weirdly, it felt like the more time the line gave him, the worse throw it was. Like, yeah. that's kind of... And it, was, and it was odd, and I'm not sure if it's because his freshman year and his sophomore year, he was kind of having to run for his life a little bit because that line wasn't very good. I'm not sure if that's, if that's related at all, but it's an issue. It, yep. it, or not, maybe not an issue, but it's certainly hindering this offense right now because you do feel like, okay, Rock Taylor, Blake Watson, those are two guys that can make things happen when they get the football in their hands. We just got to make sure we're getting it to them over and over again. Yeah, and I need to see Demir Blankumsey yeah. wake up. Yeah. I need, I need, you need, I need one more. more receiver. Well, you need one. Like, Rock is a possession guy who's not necessarily run after the catch. You, you can throw back shoulders to him. He can he can make a contested catch. He can sometimes beat a, beat a defense deep. But a guy like Demir Blankumsey, who's got the shiftiness, he's got speed. You got to get him involved, and and he's got to get himself involved. He had a lot of he had eleven he targets. Yeah, he had seven catches. He had seven catches, yards. but he's, he just he, he wasn't. He he can't, he's, he's not, not making doing people much miss with right. It. Yeah, that's second. that's what it is. He's not breaking the tackles. Like he's yes. not making the first guy miss. He's catching it. Great. We we want to see that. You know, but then he's going down immediately. You know, yep. that's why he only averaged I think like five yards a game. Now I I'll say this about the Mizzou loss. No harm to me. Um, I think these next two games is where you could do yourself harm. If you lose to a Boise State, if you if you uh, you know lose to Boise State, then lose to Tulane. If you go zero and two in this stretch coming up these next two weeks, you are in a very very bad spot where I think the fan base jumps off. Now next weekend, they're two and a half point favorites against Boise State. It'll be on ESPN two. It'll be at uh, Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. I think you need to win one at the very least of the next two, and I think Boise State's the most likely likely opponent to do that against. I agree. The one thing I take away from the Missouri game is I feel as if Memphis should win the Boise State game. It's at home. You got the weapons. Make it happen. You've, mm-hmm. it's, it's time to show up. This is the game that I feel like the team's been prepping for. Silverfield needs it for you know just the season-long thing. It'd be a huge win. It'd be a massive win. I think you almost have to win the Boise State game. Yeah, um... I thought the defense held up against Mizzou, too. I think, yeah, uh, you know, good. for the most part, by the end of the game, you started to see that defensive line, that front seven, get, get weared upon by an SEC offensive line. Cody Schrader got whatever he wanted it, it, late third uh, going into the fourth quarter, and that was sort of the difference in the game late. They just couldn't get that Mizzou offense off the field because they were running the ball so well. Luther Burden, by the way, absolute man stud. Uh, Ten catches, 177 yards. Didn't have a TD, but he's ridiculous. He's ridiculous. You knew it was going to be trouble trying to deal with a guy like Luther Burton. I didn't think it'd be that much trouble, though. I, f- I figured you- you'd have a plan, try to bracket him, try to keep the ball out of his hands as much as you could. You couldn't do that with him. No, he, he's, he looked like an NFL player. He certainly looked like an NFL player. Because he is. T- I mean, ten, <laughs> 10 receptions, 177, that's, that's man stuff. And he was very difficult to tackle. <laughs> he t- yes. He's just, he won't go down. Yep. Um, now, also, um, over the weekend, we had Colorado versus Oregon. And uh, I, do, we have, do we have the sound pulled up here, Connor, for, for Dan Lanning before the game? I, I want to play this first. Now, Colorado goes down 42-6, to six, and it was not, not good. Uh, Shador Sanders was sacked seven times. I told you about the trenches before the weekend even hit. I said, okay, Oregon, this game is different. Can they win? No, but that's okay. They've already won three. They're 3-0. and oh. Uh, you, you still feel good about what Colorado's building, but they got their absolute ass kicked this weekend. Um, and Dan Lanning, before the game, some people saw this as a shot. Some people say this is you're just trying to get the, the team hyped up. I'll give you my opinion. But here's what Dan Lanning said before the game. Rooted in substance, not flash. Rooted in substance. Today, we talk with our pads. You talk with your 
The Cinderella story is over, man. Right? They're fighting for clicks, we're fighting for wins. There's a difference. Right? There's a difference. Right? This game ain't gonna be played in Hollywood, it's gonna be played on the grass. Right? It's gonna be played on the grass. Let's go. All right, so a couple of things in there. Rooted in substance, not flash. And then he says they're fighting for clicks, we're fighting for wins. Quite frankly, I don't disagree with him. I think in a lot of ways what Prime has done is build this program up in a big way. Yeah, he's got the talent. He's, he's, he's got the flash. He's, he knows what to say. He's, he's always sort of on the right side of history, at least through the first three weeks. But this week, you have all this flash, you have all this hype up for a game, and you realize – that Oregon's talent, Oregon's team, how it's put together in the trenches, and then with similar skill players on the outside, you realize that Colorado's not close. Colorado's not there. They can't be a premier team in college football at this moment. They can't be a top 10 team. They can't be a college football playoff contender at this moment. They don't have enough. But it's year one for Dion. So there's no big issue. Now, I've, I saw a lot of people, Deion Sanders Jr. came out, and he said, this is the worst we're going to be. So get these licks off while you can. And that's a fair sentiment as well. But I find nothing wrong with what Dan Lanning had to say. If you knew some of the ins and outs of what people say behind closed doors, um, you know, in, in, in pregame meetings, uh, during practice, during meetings, during the week, you would think that this was, this was light work. This was nothing. But I think that what Dan Lanning did, he tried to hype up his team. That's how you hype up your team. And he did a good job of it. And, and we see it on the back end. 42-6 to will tell you he did a good job of prepping his team for, for the week against Colorado. I agree. You know, I, I have absolutely no problem with Dion doing his thing, being Coach absolutely Prime. Absolutely not. So I have no problem with, with another coach doing it. it. To be quite honest, it was, he did it with his team in the locker room. He wasn't doing these quotes to media. He wasn't talking about hats and sunglasses. He was talking to his football team and trying to motivate them before what is a big game. It was yep. a big game. because it's a top 20 week, matchup all week, at home. All week, Oregon had to hear that they were on upset watch. Yes. When in reality, it seems silly. Yes. But, they had, the to hear that. they had to hear that over and over and over and over again. So I understand why he used that to motivate the team. I've, like Some people have said, well, Oregon wears different combinations of uniforms, so if they want clicks, it's, that's silly. That's stupid. That's dumb. That's a dumb response well, to what he said. Of course, that's branding, all right? Like, there's nothing wrong <laughs> with that. He's specifically talking about locker room material. Dion gave them locker room material, so he used it. There's nothing wrong with that. Just like when teams give Dion locker room material, there's no problem in him using that. Yes. You made it personal, right? The whole Colorado State thing, you made it personal. This one didn't feel personal. It felt like, listen, they've been getting all the talk. Let's go prove why we should be getting the talk. Yes. And this is a top 10 team in the country, Oregon. They're very good. They're very good. They're very good. Bo Nix was phenomenal in this game, 28 for 33, 276, three TDs, one INT. But really what, what it came down to, Oregon's defense was way too much for anything Colorado could handle. They didn't have Travis Hunter out there, their number one receiver in a lot of ways. I thought Xavier Weaver did all he could. I thought Shador Sanders did all he could. But here's the truth of it. It's not just Oregon. Their trenches, their offensive line is not good enough. 22 sacks through four games. And they've won three of them because Shador Sanders is that damn good. And I don't think he did anything, like, bad no. this weekend. He just could not. He did what he could. He had to run for his life the entire game because Oregon's front was too good. And I, I think this, you know, seven sacks is the most Oregon's had in a long, long time. And this is going to be a reoccurring issue for Colorado as they get into the heart of their Pac-12 schedule. 
Now, I still think there's plenty out there for them to win. They could get to bowl eligibility. Absolutely. I mean, you have at Arizona State, but they did fight against USC this week in Arizona State. They looked a little feisty. Uh, Drew Pine was finally starting. You have versus Stanford. Then you have Arizona. I think the rest of these games on their schedule are going to be very, very tough for them to win. USC this weekend, obviously at home, so that helps them a tad bit. Travis Hunter wants to go, but Dion says no chance. You have a lacerated liver, brother. We're not going to do that. We're not going to put you in arm's way. But even these games, UCLA – Oregon State, Washington State, Utah. It's going to be tough, tough sledding for this Colorado team. But if you if you find a way in year one under Dion to get to bowl eligibility, that's about as good as you could or should have expected. That's a home run. That's it's a that's home a, that is, run. That is that is the equivalent of this Colorado team going to a college football playoff. I mean, that is they've already that is unbelievable. The that is un- if they get to bowl eligibility, they get to six wins. They have accomplished more in year one than a lot of coaches accomplish in their entire career. I mean, this this has been impressive as hell from Coach Prime, and I still think they have an opportunity to get to bowl eligibility. It is impressive what Coach Prime has done. Shador Sanders is for real, too. He is extremely talented, and I very much enjoy watching him play. Dylan Edwards, I also think, is very much is very fun to watch. That guy, that guy can run. If, if they lose every single game from here on out, this season is still a success. It is still a success, what he has been able but, to do. You want them to be in these games. I still think that they're going to win some of these games. But they've already tripled their win total from last year. He is building a culture. He is establishing what this team for years to come. It's extremely impressive what they've been able to do. I don't think they lost this game because they did anything bad. They just were out-talented and out-manned. And sometimes that happens in college football. Sometimes the other team is bigger and faster, and that's what happened in this game. It's what happened. So he's going to go get those guys, he's going to fix it up, and they're going to... This game is not indicative of it not working at Colorado. Of course not. This was just, of Oregon is awesome. (laughs) Oregon is awesome. been doing this for a while. And Colorado has a new team. Yes, Yes, and they don't have a well-balanced team. You could see it from a mile away through those first three games, even though they won them. And to Dan Lanning's point, Colorado is more style than substance right now. That does not mean that the substance can't catch up. Right. I think I would bet on the substance catching up. I would bet that Dion looks at himself in the mirror this offseason and says, yeah, I knew about these skill players. I knew about the skill positions. That was a given. I know who can go. I know who can't. But what I have to do is strengthen my O-line, strengthen my D-line, and then we can be a very competitive team in, in you know, uh, moving on to the Big 12 and, and really in the national picture of college football. But he's got to get those things right before you take them seriously as a 9, 10, 11 win type team. Right. But what he's done in year one, nothing well, to he's made it. He's impressive. made Boulder attractive to recruit. Yes. That's the biggest thing that he has done. Wins and losses this year are great. They're the cherry on top, though. Dion is establishing a culture. He's establishing why people need to come to Colorado, and I think he has done that. Yep. Even in a loss, people are still like, you know what, Colorado, they're going to be something soon, and it's going to be. it has the potential to be special. It's fun to watch, so people want to be a part of that. That's what he's doing. That's why this year, this year is just for fun. It's it's for it's the cherry on top of everything. Already getting three wins in the fashion that you have beating TCU, it's a big deal, and it's going to help your team next year. So I have all the respect in the world for Colorado and what they've done. I'm just not surprised that Oregon went in there, and kicked their ass. <laughs> we saw it coming from a mile saw it coming away. from a mile away, and if it you, might happen next week. If you watch, we 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 have to you know disengage from me taking shots at prime by what his team is telling me. I'm talking about the football aspect. His team's not ready to be on that stage. His team's not ready to be beating top 10 teams on the road in their place. Just not there yet. Can they get there? Absolutely. But it's going to take time. Right. It's going to take time. Give just it like time. Any, just like any good program takes its time getting to that, getting to that point. Um, now, final game I want to talk about. 
Notre Dame at home versus Ohio State. Now, Ohio State's offense didn't show me a whole lot until the end. I was impressed with Kyle McCord down the stretch of that game on that touchdown drive. Uh, in, in the final seconds, he delivered balls when he needed to deliver balls, and he was very, very impressive. Um, but I think more so than anything, the reason I believe in this Ohio State team more than I have in the past, there's been this, I think since 2021, when they started losing to Michigan, you got this thought process behind an Ohio State coach, Ryan, uh, Ryan Day coach team. They're not tough enough. Their defense can't really stick in there against the Michigans and the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world. And honestly, until this weekend, I still believe that. I still believe that. But here are the facts. They just held a top 10 offense heading into that week. This is a Notre Dame offense with Sam Hartman, who's the uh, leader in in touchdown passes in the ACC, leader in passing yards in the ACC's history. Um, They had a running back, and Audrick Estime, going into the weekend, was the leader in college football in, in rushing yards. They have a dynamic offense. And what did that Ohio State team do? Over four quarters of football, they held that top 10 offense to 14 points. They won a game with 17 points on the board, on the road, in South Bend. That is impressive as hell. Ryan Day had his team ready to go. This is not the Ohio State team where we're sitting here and saying they need to score 45 points to go win Big Ten games. This is an Ohio State team that can, when they want to, play Big Ten-style football, rough and tumble, and battle it out the entire game. And that defense showed up. Tommy Eichenberg was solid. Uh, The guys up front were solid. Jack Sawyer didn't really get as involved as you wanted him to. JT Tuamalo was great. And they showed that they have a toughness and an edge that they haven't had in quite a while or really ever under Ryan Day. And Ryan Day took that to heart. Now, uh, uh, I believe it was on the Pat McAfee show. We had Lou Holtz, obviously Notre Dame. We know the Notre Dame affiliation. But he said something about Ryan Day's team and the sentiments about them not being tough enough and why Notre Dame was going to win. And then Ryan Day responded after the game. We're going to play those two sounds right here, back-to-back. He has lost to Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Michigan twice, and everybody that beats him does so because they're more physical than Ohio State. And I think Notre Dame will take that same approach. Like I'd like to know where Lou Holtz is right now. What he said about our team, what he said about our team, I cannot believe. This is a tough team right here. We're proud to be from Ohio, and it's always been Ohio against the world. And it'll continue to be Ohio against the world. But I'll tell you what, I love those kids, and we got a tough team. Now, you can, you can say what you want about Ryan Day. I think there's a lot of people that came out and said, oh, you're going a little too hard. That's a legend of the game. And Lou Holtz, he's just saying what everybody else has said about your team over the years. But what I did appreciate about Ryan Day is Ryan Day has been very stoic on the sideline for just about his entire career. He doesn't really get out of his character. He doesn't raise his voice all that much, especially to the media. Um, he usually tries to stay, you know, hold those things in. But what he showed right there after that game, in that emotional spot, holding a team to 14 points and then beating them at their place when they're a top-10 team as well, he showed what he shows all those kids from Monday through, uh, through Saturday, basically. He showed the intensity that he shows those kids every single day, and that is really the first time I've seen Ryan Day do that, and I have no problem with that at all, just like I have no problem with Dan Lanning before the game showing his emotion to his team to get them and will them to victory. I, I thought Ryan Day... 
Uh, a lot of people have had issues with him going after Lou Holtz the way he did, but Lou Holtz said what he said. Ryan Day said what he said. Let it go. Because Ryan Day proved on the field what Lou Holtz said was completely and utterly wrong. And it was, it was you know, you can throw that take in the garbage at this point um, going forward until Ohio State shows us um, that they are the same old team again. And I don't know if that's going to happen because Jim Knowles, that defensive coordinator who they brought in uh, before last year, has definitely improved that side of the ball, and they are tough, they're rugged, and they're ready to fight. I can't lie. I had the opinion of Lou Holtz before this game. I had the same opinion. I thought that physicality was something same that Ohio here. State Everyone couldn't did. handle. Everyone That's why, did. you know, I think Lou Holtz was fair to say that, but I also think Ryan Day is very fair to say that after the performance they put on against Notre Dame, who is maybe the most physical team in the country. Really, they just I've watched Notre Dame all season. They just beat the hell out of people. They really do. And for Ohio State to go in there and play their game and beat them at it, it's highly impressive. Very, very. It shows that, and obviously we'll see what the offense ages like. Kyle McCord It's adaptability that they haven't shown in the but, past. Exactly, and I just, I want to, if that offense can peak like it has in the past with Kyle McCord at quarterback and that defense can play like they did week in, week out against Notre Dame, my gosh. Plus, it's a guy standing up for his, for his team. Yes. Of course That's he's going to say that. What That's else it. What are you supposed to say? But, you know, but, he was I, right but, until this but game. But for all these reasons, I'm now, I am, I am, where I was a little bit hesitant on this Ohio State team heading into the week, I am all on board with what they have going. That was the best defensive effort I've seen them put out in just about the Ryan Day experience, just about since he took over for Urban Meyer. It was damn impressive. Now, uh, that'll do it for our college football portion of this first hour. we got to go ahead and get to uh, some NFL. We It was wild week three was. We had a 70-point performance. We have Taylor Swift to talk about. We'll do that next, 92.9 FM ESPN. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash K. That's my promo code, G-A-B-E-K, and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL and 92.9 ESPN. You must be 21+. plus. And President Tennessee, first online real money wager only. $10, first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem called Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. I'd imagine that if you were celebrating, this song was probably playing in the background of the uh, Dolphins, Dolphins after party. 70 points! 70 points in an NFL regular season game. Given up by none other than the Denver Broncos. Now, I want to start on the Denver Broncos. This is bad. 0-3, in a terrible spot. You weren't competitive in this game. Sean Payton could have waited probably a season and gone and dealt with the Brandon Staley Chargers with a good quarterback in Justin Herbert, but he wanted to hop back in, see if he could change Russell Wilson, see if he could get that defense on the up and up, see if he could go compete in the AFC West. They have no chance of competing. But on the Dolphins' side, it's unbelievable what I'm seeing from them. Offensively, this is the most dynamic offense in the NFL, and it doesn't even seem relatively close. So far, Tua Tagovailoa, as much as people try to 
shoot him down because of injuries and everything else and maybe the past. And Brian Flores, when he was first there, trying to get rid of him and bring in Deshaun Watson at a time. This guy, through three games, 1,024 yards, eight TDs, two INTs. Fun fact, last year, through the first three games, eight TDs, two INTs, very, very similar. And he was in the MVP conversation at this point. Right now, this is a guy that should be at the top of the MVP conversation. You can say that Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, his weapons, his run game is going, but Tua Tagovailoa, as long as he stays healthy, if he keeps putting up numbers like this, it's going to be hard to leave him out of that conversation and, and, and you know at least be a top two, top three finisher. He has been phenomenal. Unbelievable. He was 23 for 26 yesterday, 309 yards, four TDs, zero INTs. You had Tyreek Hill, nine receptions, 157, one TD. I mean, it's it, that, that pass game is at the top of the NFL. It's not even close. Tua averaged 12 yards a pass. <laughs> 12 yards of completion, yep. <laughs> Every time the ball left his hands, it was a first down <laughs> at the very least. It was remarkable to watch. It was kind of... Crazy to watch. That photo out there of, I think, Mostert running or somebody running and just the Denver Broncos are just on the ground. It's 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 crazy. It's the biggest ass-kicking I've ever seen in the NFL. I never thought I've I would never, see something I've, like 70 that. 70 points, I, it's ridiculous. It's what, do you th- even, what do you make of Mike McDaniel? I mean, that dude. He can go. He can go. And I'll get to the, the big changes he's made because I think it's sort of built in with all the weapons they have and a very accurate quarterback in Tua that that pass game is going to be good. Um, but I, I just – Seeing how many points they scored, I am just dumbfounded. I, I just, I am, I don't, I, I, I have not seen a game like that. I didn't think that was possible in the NFL. Yeah. And the Denver Broncos, I'm not going to act like their defense is just without a pulse. It looked without a pulse yesterday, but that defense has some guys out there who can really go at least a little bit. You thought they'd be at least middle of the pack defensively. This will set them back in that conversation. No matter how good they are the rest of the season, you gave up 70 points in week three. But it was classy from the Dolphins to not kick the field goal, apparently, even though they put 70 on them. I no, found that you know, discussion I found, hilarious. I found it hilarious that was because so funny. people are like, well, they put in the backups. They put in the backups. So, like, you can't do anything about it. Yeah, they put in the backups, and they had the backups throw bombs over top. Mike White Robbie, threw two passes, Robbie and he has Anderson a touchdown. Robbie Anderson changed to Robbie Chosen. He runs a 4-3. Four, <laughs> a four three. He Okay, yeah, he's a backup for the Dolphins. He's been a starter for his entire career, and they just aired it out down the field and, and let it let it go. So no, I mean you, he did not he did not spare them at all, and and there's a reason he didn't spare him. He was a ball boy back then, and they didn't give him an interview in 2022 when ultimately the the Dolphins decided to hire him. So I bet there was a little bit of a built-in sort of annoyance from him and him trying to lay it on the lay it on the Broncos. He wanted to lay it on the Broncos. Absolutely, absolutely, he did. It's it's one of the most impressive wins that I've seen, and the Dolphins are for real, and they didn't even have Watto out there. They didn't. They didn't. But uh, they have enough. They have enough. But the big change that you see from our man Mike McDaniel, he was the run game coordinator when he was with San Francisco and under Kyle Shanahan. And he did a really good job. And we still see some of his teachings and some of his his scheme working, uh, even though he's not in San Fran anymore. But one thing that this team was missing in year one under Mike McDaniel was the ability to run the football at a, at a high level. Um, Raheem Mostert, uh, they had, you know, they, Jeff Wilson. They, they really couldn't get it done last year. This year is a complete, complete difference. Their O-line is doing a great job with some of those zone schemes, and these guys are running absolutely 
ragged. Raheem Mostert in week two on the road in, uh, in New England at Gillette Stadium ran for 121 yards and two TDs. This week, he had 13 carries for 82, three TDs. And I, I think the story of yesterday for the Dolphins, though, was Devin Achan. We know that he came out of Texas A&M. He's a sub-4-3 guy. He's super, super fast. He, he can make things happen uh, with his legs. But he, 18 carries, 203 yards for an 11.3 average, two TDs rushing, and then he added two uh, TDs in the receiving game. He caught four for 30 yards. This is a weapon they're going to be able to use for the rest of the year. I don't know how much they're going to be able to run him between the tackles consistently. I think Raheem Mostert will get a, a – you know, a lot of that work. But if they can run the ball at this level, this this offense is going to be unstoppable. It'll be a walk-me-down offense. No one's going to be able to to really get consistent stops against them. You're going to be hoping for one or two stops a game. And even even then, it's it's going to be hard to beat this team. And I, I, this game, I think they had one turnover on downs. And, and I, I, did they even have a punt yesterday? Did they even punt the ball once? That that's the crazy, and, and that's a crazy question. In the second quarter, they had one turnover on downs, four plays, nine yards. They had one punt, and they had <laughs> one punt the entire game. One freaking punt the entire game. But the most yards in a game, um, they're second now in NFL history behind the 1951 Rams, who had 735. Good uh, God! The Dolphins had 726. Uh, the, the next closest would be 683, the 1958 Steelers did that against the Cardinals. And then most points in a game, 1940 Bears, 73 versus Washington. Uh, second, second most, Washington, 72 versus the Giants. And then the Dolphins are now number three with 70 versus the Denver Broncos. That was a historical performance. And I hope it put the rest of the league on notice. There's no other way to put it. That was is, – is, Dominating of a of a win I as as I have ever seen in the NFL, <laughs> it was insane. It was insane. Now also we have to bring up the the topic of the of of Sunday, and that's Taylor Swift in Kansas City in the box with Donna Kelsey, and she 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 had a good she had good fun. Now it, it is kind of sad for Bears fans. The Bears Bears that Bears team is the homecoming game for. For uh, for NFL teams, they bring in all their, you know, all their people. They they add more guest tickets for the Bears coming in town because they know they're absolutely going to beat their tail. They're they're the FCS team in September for for college football for college football uh, teams. Um, but Taylor Swift in the audience. I this is this is this is being covered a little bit too much, but I get it. Taylor Swift is a is a billionaire. She's so unbelievably popular. Her fans fill out, you know, football stadiums uh, during her tour. Uh, this, this is this is up there, but you see ESPN and Fox all turning into TMZ and everything else to go cover this thing ultimately. Um, and there's a lot of back and forth about this this relationship and what it's going to become. It's 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 kind of silly, but at the same time, I see why people follow. I find it cool. I don't know. I, I I think it's pretty cool. Taylor Swift. I've always been a fan of hers and and what she does and means for a certain you know for for people. And I'm I'm not not the biggest fan of her, but I've always enjoyed her. And her tour is legitimately kind of jaw dropping to see what it's been doing. She is in the atmosphere of some of the all time legends. I think in the music industry and seeing her at football games with Travis Kelsey. I think it's cool, man. I that's my my only real reaction to it is cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's awesome. It looks like she's having fun. She, it looks like she understands the game of football, which is cool. 
I think Travis Kelsey, one of the best tight ends I've ever seen, what I've ever seen, and good for him is what I'll say. Yeah. Tip of the cap. Yeah. We all saw that MTV <laughs> Music Video Awards video. Good for him. The 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 back and forth though between NFL fans and Swifties all sort of like going after this, but going after this relationship. Like so going, I haven't going seen fun. that. I've seen it. I've seen it in a in a pretty heavy way. Travis Kelsey has caught some strays. People are calling him corny. Um, um, yeah. You have you have well, all the. You have all the, uh, the the big jocks, the the football guys going after Taylor Swift. It's just I, I hope this relationship works out because there's been too much back and forth and a lot of people sort of hating along the way at this relationship being formed. And I'm I'm not there. I, I you know from the beginning it's just kind of strange to see you know Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift in that type of relationship. Um, and I do still think he needs to be careful. He needs to be careful about being on the breakup <laughs> album. But I'm rooting on him. I'm rooting on him at this point. It's just it, there's been too much talk uh, sort of negating their relationship at this point. It's the, just it's, it's annoying. The only real conversation I've seen is Swifties trying to figure out the game of football. And I think those have been high comedy tweets to see because the reason of there being a fourth down has confused them to no ends. They don't understand. 